let's go out and do it. It's a matter of what's happening out there. Hebrews 3 tells us that you are the house of God. John 14, 2 says that, like, in my Father's house are many places, if it weren't so, I'd tell you so. And most of the time, people just put that in the far future, that one day in heaven there's a mansion up there. I, I don't want to break the news to you too strongly, but it's not translated as mansions. <clears throat> in my Father's house there's rooms or places. If it weren't so, I, t I would tell you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and there to receive you to myself. If you went into Hebrews, the third chapter, and he talks about Moses' faithful in his house, or his, his era, or his time, or his legacy, generation, Jesus was faithful in his, and he said, whose house you are. So that means that we are the house of God. When Jesus went into the temple and he drove out those who were giving false money exchange for sacrifices because there was nations coming with different currencies and, <clears throat> and they were giving uh, away bad, bad uh, transactions. And Jesus saw that. It wasn't just the idea that they were selling sacrifices because there was people coming in from out of the country and needed them, but they were cheating people and what was happening. Right. And that's where he comes up and he takes, makes himself a whip and he drives them out not because he was selling books in the bookstore. <laughs> you know, you're, you're in commerce, you know. Well, we should never charge for a meal then. No, that's not what he's saying. He drove them out because they were making his house a house, a den of thieves, of stealing from the people. And that drove them out. Then he declared, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Right. Hebrews 3 again, you are the house of God, so you are the house of prayer. <clears throat> This building, I love it. You know, we have a place to gather and uh, free from the rain in most places in the building. And, but we are, the, this is not the house of God. You are the house of God. Yes. You carry inside of you the presence of God. You carry inside of you an eternal spirit of God that when your body ceases to breathe, your spirit immediately, if, you're born, if you know Jesus, goes to be with him and into his place or into his house. So if we recognize that we're, we're the house of God, we're also a house for the Holy Spirit. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 concerning, be careful, don't, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? What we do in our body and how we respond and morality and all of those things, <clears throat> take care of our body, uh, really is a response to, I know that I'm not the only one living here. The Holy Spirit is here guiding and directing. And thirdly is we're called the house of praise, that we are instilled inside of us a calling and a responsibility to worship the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And we're also said <clears throat> we are to worship the Lord, He only, and no others should we worship. Worship the Lord thy God with all of your heart, strength, and mind, with everything being within you. So when we see those three mandates, those things carry over into our natural home. I'm going to look at this morning is what should we be training our own family, children, grandchildren, wherever we are, to know how to deal with the last days. I'm, not going, to, I'm, I'm going to lead up to the warfare because that's ultimately where I'm going to get to. But I, what I'm going to share this morning is about how to prepare yourself for war. And if those are hearing by TikTok, I'm not talking about overtaking a nation. I'm talking about the warfare of the Spirit. <laughs> I was in Cuba, and they said, be careful that you, what you say, because they don't take things spiritually here. They take them literally. So I had to make sure that I did not talk about the luchando de, de país, which means a warfare over a nation. And so I talked about the love of God that was very, very understandable. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, every family will have to understand how to do this. In the last days, the weightiness and the press of the, of the darkness is going to be on us much more now. We, we live very, very nicely, I think, in Tyler, Texas. But I think if you've ever traveled much outside of this realm, <laughs> realm this city is we live in a little bit of a bubble. It is, it is easier here than when I'm on the East Coast. It is, you know, economy is good in some other places, but I mean, I've traveled in other places and, and you have to feel like you're fighting, you know, just this, this press against you that you can't see, but you know, whatever it is, this invisible thing is resistant towards you. 
So I appreciate where we're living in, but I don't want to take it for granted. I need to know how to deal with something of the, of the enemy. And I'll get into some of those signs. How do you know if, you're in, if you need to go to spiritual warfare? It's through the scriptures. Paul talks about it a lot in the New Testament. So it's not a matter, is there, a, is there an issue with spiritual warfare? Say, well, I, just, I think it's whatever we make it. Well, you can believe that if you want to, but the time comes when you've done everything you can do to stand, it's still not enough, then you'll say, what was that message he preached back there? So you'll be glad we did. All right, turn with me <clears throat> to Revelation, the third chapter. While you're turning there, I want to, um, Holy Spirit just reminded me in worship earlier, I want to pray over, uh, and it could be people watching by home as well. I heard the Holy Spirit saying he wants to deliver people that have been experiencing a tormenting spirit at night. And what I mean by that is that when you lay down your mind as least, uh, you know, busy doing something, activities of the day, but there's thoughts and words come back to you. And you heard what Barbara sh shared here. Thoughts and words come back to you. Maybe a conversation of something someone said, and the enemy takes and twists it. You can go into Job. Job talks about the Leviathan spirit, which is a, an ancient kind of reptile, dragon-looking thing, alligator-like. And they, they kill their prey by twisting, turning and twisting. So if you had where words were twisted, thoughts were twisted in such a way that you lay there and felt tormented and felt hatred coming from that person, that individual, and you start wrangling through that, you could very well be dealing with a tormenting spirit. And with a tormenting spirit, it's as you, anger comes within you, but it's a feeling of, of oppression and putting you down and gives you the feeling or sense of helplessness. If that's you here in this audience, I want you to stand up right now. I want to pray over you. I feel very strong like this way. <clears throat> it may be old conversations from, a, from a, a, even a parent. It's even gone on something. <clears throat> All right. If you realize it is a spirit, and the reality of that is less than what you think, whatever you feed continues to live. Whatever you starve dies out. So here, here the, I'm going to pray, I'm going to break it, but then also you've got to be proactive in the sense that I can't feed in that by replaying, recording over and over and, and, you know, and having conversations in your mind to that person or that instance or situation. The more conversation you have to that demon, tormenting spirit, knows that I've got your attention. We're communicating. <clears throat> and fear is tormenting, the Bible says. Fear has torment. So, Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I come through the authority of the blood of Jesus that you've placed in our lives to cancel out the debt set against us. So, Lord, those words that were set, that were lies of the enemy, to convolute, to make us feel less than, to put us down, to make us feel like we're, we're someone who doesn't have value. We break that, that lie. It is not truth because we know that you wouldn't talk to us like that. You wouldn't say anything like that. Your words are spirit and they're life. So we break this hold that when now you lay down at night, if that thing starts to rehearse, ah, you change the channel right then and begin to think about the goodness of God and all that the Lord has done and you cancel it out. You exalt the name of the Lord and you put down these other lies and that. So right now in the name of Jesus, you're not a house for torment. You're not a house of, of hostility and anger. You're not a house that carries lies in any way. In the name of Jesus, be set free from a tormenting spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Word of knowledge is one of the gifts of the Spirit. So in your home and family, you need to ask for discerning of spirits, word of knowledge, to hear what God's saying so that you can combat. After a while, you get so used to it, we learn to live with those kind of things instead of pushing back and pressing back on it. Because, well, this is what my family was. My father's that way. And here's the scripture. First Peter tells us that you're born again. You're brought out. In other words, a complete transformation. Species is the word. Born again, not with corruptible seed, which is thoughts and lies that are corrupt, but by the incorruptible word of God, which can't be corrupted and has eternal value. So whatever you think on, you become like whatever you think on. 
So allow the Spirit of the Lord to elevate your thinking and processes and don't debate it and don't, don't talk about it. Don't let the enemy just take your attention away from what God's doing. Whatever thing is good, whatever thing is honorable, whatever thing is perfect, right. think on these things. He gives us a list there in Philippians what to think on. That's right. So if I choose to think on something else, I'm choosing what the devil's saying over what God's saying. Yes. I could preach on thoughts right here, I think. <laughs> Revelations 3. <clears throat> There's seven churches of Asia that every one of them has a message all of their own. It's different. But I want to particularly look out at the Laodicean church because there's some things particular that's relative to where we are in the times that we're living in and as well as a nation. Probably fits the United States now more than any other time in history. And that every, every one of these nations, Jesus had something to say about. There was Philadelphia, he had more pity on them because they were going through things. Uh, Smyrna, Thyatira, they were Christians that were being persecuted by Orthodox Jews, and many of them were killed by Jews. And so even the Christians that were in those communities were being persecuted, and Jesus honored them <clears throat> for their faithfulness, even under persecution. We come to all of the seven churches of Asia, it would be where Turkey is today. So if you can kind of look at that on a map, those seven churches within a geographical area would have been where modern-day Turkey is. They were literal churches, but they were also churches that he wanted to give us an example of how he views something. So if you look at this, you say, how does Jesus view the church? How does he view our nation? How does he view where we are? And we have a template there to look at that. Now, it's not all bad. Hang with me. You'll, you'll see how God is giving us some solutions right in the middle of chaos with this. All right, Revelation 3, pick it up in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodicean, let me just say Laodicean, Leo, L-A-O, is we get the word laity from, L-A-I. Laity means man-made or man-centered. The Odyssean means looking for justice. Man-made justice. In other words, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll find a way to do it. We're not trusting God. We're going to be the ones to do it. To the angel of the church of Laodicean, you know why it's written in red? It's because Jesus is the Achilleos or the angel of the church. <clears throat> he is over his own church. Yeah. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. He's saying, this is who I am. I was there in the beginning of creation. I am the faithful, true witness. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. You were one extreme or the other. So then because you are lukewarm, I mean, he likes a lukewarm bath, it just feels, feels more comfortable. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's pretty strong, isn't it? You make me sick. That's what he's saying. You make me sick because you're, neither, you're, you're not even good to the devil. You know, you're just right in the middle. But he said it makes him sick as the one who gave his life for the church. It's pretty strong words. Verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do, no, and do not know, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Hang on to those three words because it'll be interesting. You'll see in a moment. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and wild garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyes have that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke. If, if you no longer feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, you have to think, why? I'm more concerned that I don't feel the sense of dealings of the Holy Spirit because part of having that sensitivity to him, it means that he's, he's directing us and growing us up into him. I find these days he lets me by with nothing. <laughs> I thought I had favor. Well, favor doesn't mean get by with something. Favor means I love you so much that I'll be truthful to you. Because if there's a little leaven there, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and it's easy to get into a, a bigger issue and problem. Okay. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, in other words, I want you to hear what I'm saying, you open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and be with him. So he's not given up on them. He's saying, but you're, you're going to have to do the pursuing. You have to do the knocking. 
nor I steer it. He does the knocking, but you're going to have to open to him, and then he comes in. So we're going to have to be responsive to what he's saying and doing in these last days. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Remember that word throne will be important in a little bit. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. In other words, the throne is a place of the judgment seat of God. It's the highest of the high. Yes. Look at verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The interesting thing about the church of Laodicea was it was uh, on the coast. It was very wealthy. It was known out of all the seven churches of Asia, it was known as the banking center. It had more uh, modern ways at that time of doing banking and conducting business than any of the other seven churches. They were also known for eyeglasses. They were the only ones that developed in that time of the world eyeglasses or eye care. So they, people came there from all over to find a, a way to see better, and I'm not sure what they used for, the, for the, the ophthalmology of it of their day. Maybe it was just finding a piece of glass and, and concaving and making where they see. But they were historically known for having the ability to make eyeglasses or something of, with that nature. And the third thing is that they were the only place that developed black wool or grew black wool in such a way, whether it's cotton or wool, we don't know for sure. Was, they're not black sheep, I guess, but there were some goats that had that. And so that they were the only ones that had that, and they pride in themselves having garments and beautiful garments that more than any other place. In fact, they were known, if they, someone saw a beautiful garment, they would say, you're from Laodicea. Notice what Jesus says to them. First of all, you've got the biggest banking system you said, I'm rich and have need of nothing. And that you're saying that you're, you're clothed well, and, you, and yet Jesus says, you're naked. And then he says, we've got, we've got ability to see better than everyone else. And he said, you're blind. Yeah. Interesting to what they prided themselves, Jesus said to them, there again in uh, verse, verse 17, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The very thing that you say that you're strong about, he says, you're weak in. <laughs> but he goes on to say, come to me and buy of me gold that's refined in the fire that is pure. And you can find another place where he says, buy gold, come and buy gold without money. In other words, he said, I've paid the price for it, but you have to come to me for that happening. Yeah. Is there any other, any other time in history could we say, well, the United States have been for several decades. And I'm thankful that our nation is wealthy compared to a lot of the other nations. <laughs> I'm thankful that our nation gives away food to other third world, uh, third world nations probably more than anyone else in the world. At one time, I'm not sure it's now, that the United States sent more missionaries to the world than anyone else. UK was known for that. We've sent out, we've supported. So there's a place that he could say, you've done some good works. But when he looks at it and he's saying, because you've relied upon the things that you feel known about, you have lost your sensitivity to go after me because you have your comfortability in your wealth. You have your own, your own uh, pride and what you've made about yourself and the ability to even see. And he comes and he hits on all three of those. You're blind, naked, and wretched. How dare you? But it's the work of the Holy Spirit that comes along and saying, it's not your strength that is, that is your best part. It's your weakness. When we're weak, we're strong. When we rely on our own strength, then we tend to give up on the fact is I don't need anything else. I'm very independent. I don't worry about anything else. Inflation doesn't bother me. I mean, inflation, even honest inflation, <clears throat> depending on whether you had or not. And so if you had financial, I don't bother that. I don't worry about any of that. But if you were in a third world country where there was not, it may make a difference. So he's saying to you, it's nothing wrong with wealth and nothing wrong with, with dressing nice and nothing wrong with wearing glasses. But it's the idea, the fact is when our reliance becomes on that and we substitute that for having a heart to pursue after the Lord. So in the last days, he's telling us that one of the churches and one of the spiritual attacks on the body of Christ will be to pull us into things that have no eternal value to cause us that if we have this, then we don't have to worry about anything else. 
we're seeing more and more, and you see in some of the other churches where they compromise their moral values and uh, they went after the gods of the world, the gods of the other nations, and it, Jesus comes and chides them after that, about that. Because so easy to be caught up in what is happening external, but how do we maintain wealth, the ability to see, and being able to have all of the things that he's given us because he gives us all of these things. Now, when people talk about, well, that's a, a social gospel or a gospel of prosperity, I believe the Lord does want us to prosper. There's nothing wrong with that. When prosperity looks as, look what I've done, Laodicea means man fixed it, I figured it out, I made it. When we, look, we recognize that he didn't do anything to look what I did, look what I was able to accomplish, look what I made happen here. When we do that, he said, but you really, you're, you're naked, you're poor, you're wretched. So his, his word back to us in the last days, there will be a huge pull to become independent from God. That we don't, never, we don't need to know anything about God at all. Yeah. One of the things that this latest statistic by the Barna Research is that Christians pray less now than they did 10 years ago. Then that, that 10 years ago, they prayed less than 10 minutes a week. Not a day, 10 minutes a week. I don't know how you get less than that. So what we're saying is that I, I no longer feel a sense to pray and so by that, I've become independent where I've taken care of myself and become busy making a living, busy with life, busy, busy, busy. And when you stand before the Lord, he's saying, what have you done with time that I've given you? And what have you done with the gifts that I've given you? Because all of those things are gifts that he gave us. We can't get on our own. Time belongs to him. The gifts of the Spirit belong to him. All of these things belong to him. We are stewards of that, but we're not, we don't have a way to, I'll fix it or make it happen. If we're in a church where I don't need to trust God anymore because we can, we can just go hire somebody to do it. We can get somebody to do it. We can, make, we can make that happen. When we do that, we're saying, I'm becoming independent from God, and maybe we hired a choir. We hired, you know, musicians, not that they, we do have some that are paid, but not just for that. But we, to the point is that we become independent from God because the people love hearing what they hear. So now we've become a man-centered, a, a center to where it's what we like and what appeals to us, and worship then becomes something of a concert style or becomes something that's more of a consumer. And then we moved into karaoke. Look right there on the screen. And when we do that, we, our attention is not upon the Lord. It's not worshiping and honoring the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and strength. And we become a people that's saying, here's what we like and this is what we're willing to pay for. There's nothing wrong with any of the other as long as it doesn't become the thing that exalts and we don't trust the Lord in the middle of it. Where darkness abounds, grace much more abounds. So he tells us that there's times when God will lift from us to allow the darkness to attack us. We see it in Israel many times. Israel was, uh, was tested because of their idolatry and their immorality and they got away from God. Now all of a sudden the enemies come in and hit them and they cry out to God. They get rid of a bad king, get a good king, and that king turns into a bad king. And it's just a cycle of events. Is because once they come to the point is where peace and safety were good. He said, be careful, that's in sudden destruction. I'm not saying all this to scare us. What I am saying is, what do we need to do to be ready for the last days? Right. Buy more guns? How many people do you want to kill just over some food? I have a gun. I mean, I'll protect myself, but I'm not going to be, you know, you want food? Bam. That's one less hungry person. I'm not going to do that. Because Jesus says, if your enemies hunger, what do you do? Shoot them. Feed them. <laughs> I know some of you people were thinking, well, I was kind of going for the first one, you know. But the kingdom of God suffers violence, Matthew 11, and the violent take it by force. And he says to that point, he says, there's none greater than John. Look at John. John's been the greatest thing that has been born of a woman. He's really applauding John. John came doing what? Prepare the way of the Lord, preaching repentance, and he's saying the kingdom of God is coming. So the next verses of that, Jesus said, Anyone who's entered into the kingdom of God is greater than John. Well, did he take away the compliment? 
No, he just moved it into a new covenant. It, John came preaching about the kingdom, but the one who is greater is the one who has entered in and practicing the kingdom, is doing the works of the kingdom. We have been given in the New Testament giftings of the Holy Spirit that they didn't have in the Old Testament or they didn't have before. Jesus came and, and brought his blood and put it on the mercy seat and we had the Holy Spirit came and we became a temple filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that temple became filled with the Holy Spirit, there's an expectation that we would be obedient and flow with the Holy Spirit. That's why they call them gifts of the Spirit, not the gifts of the church or a gift of the individual or a gift of the apostle. It's gifts of the church. Well, where does the church reside? It doesn't reside in this building. The church resides in your home. You are the house of God. So he's given us ministry gifts, and if we're operating out of anger and hostility and fighting back and, and retaliating flesh against flesh, then we're in opposition to the will of God. Because he said flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor, he said, our warfare is not with, against flesh and blood. And so when we make it against another person, we've just thrown out a lot of part, part of what Paul said. I'm not relying on the spiritual warfare. I'm, I'm operating on my own manipulation and my own anger and my own hostility. And so many times as Christians, we know this book forwards and backwards, but we, re, we go to the default with how we feel about something instead of operating in the spiritual realm. If you went into Daniel, the 10th chapter, you can see it plainly there. Daniel's reading out of the scrolls of Jeremiah, and he sees that the 70 years of captivity that had been spoken over, over Israel was finished. Daniel was a young man. He was taken along with some others. They took the best and brightest and took them into Babylon captivity, which was Persian. They took them in a totally different culture. Seventy years, it's finished. Daniel reads the seven years of captivity is up, and we're still here. If God said 70 years and we finished 70 years, why are we still in captivity? It's because nothing happens or changes until we go to war in the spiritual ranks and realms to, to, to uh, fulfill, to enforce what the Holy Spirit said. So you can say, oh, the, the Bible says, that's what the Bible says. But when you take that Word of God and you enforce it, the Word of God says that my, my children should be taught of the Lord and great peace shall be upon them and anything less than that I'm not going to stand for because I stand on the covenant rights of this Word. Now you're operating in the, in the heavenlies and op operating in the earthly realm that all it is is frustration and keeps you tied down and makes you upset and gets you disappointed because you don't see fulfillment of answered word, answered prophecy. Let me tell you something about prophecy is simply proceeding word that has potential. You can have potential, but if I'm operating in a different spirit, if I'm operating outside of God, then that prophecy is just nothing more than a piece of paper I've put to the wall. Prophecy has to be a cooperation with the Spirit of God to see it fulfilled. I realize there's sometimes there's prophecies concerning Messianic and other prophecies that are mandates that God says. But for us, we cannot take His Word and throw it aside and say, I'm going to do it on my own. That is the Laodicean, lay justice or man justice for himself way of doing it. And they got away from trusting God and they got into lukewarmness. When you no longer, when, when hungering after God in church and being together and worshiping with the body of Christ is becomes less and less, you have to make yourself doing it, you're probably moving into a lukewarm state of being. Test yourself. See if you're in the faith, the Bible says. Test the spirits or see if they're God. And I'll get into that in just a moment. All right. So when Daniel began to fast and pray concerning what he knew that Jeremiah had prophesied, after 21 days, the angel shows up. And the first thing the angel says, I heard you on day one. You think, then what have I been doing for 21 days then? If you heard me on day one, how come it took 21 days? And he goes on to say, and this is Gabriel. He said, I have been contending with the prince over Persia, the demonic fallen Elohim spirit that has been assigned to the nation over Persia. And he has authority over what people think and how they feel and all that way. But you can break through that first heaven dominion or second heaven dominion, if you will. But you have to break through it to bring down from the presence of God through that into this earthen realm. 
And it takes fight. It's a war. Can't, well, Lord, if you want to do it, whatever your will be done. No. We know what his will is. You have to force, enforce what Jesus died on the cross for is to give you access back to the throne of God. Kingdom of God is at hand, in your hand. What are you going to do with it? So, finally, he says, I've got Michael, he's come, and we're contending, and I brought this message to you, and here it is. It's not for this day, but it's for days to come. He gets understanding of that. Then you find in Daniel 7, in the courts of heaven, and he says, and the Ancient of Days came and was seated there, and he ruled in favor of the saints. We win. We're going to have breakthrough. We're going to win and result in what God's saying for these last days. We may go through times of having to contend for it, but let me tell you, I find that most Christians have a lot of head knowledge, but don't have a lot of kingdom knowledge. Kingdom is how we demonstrate the, the warfare and demonstrate the heart of the king, but we got a lot of head knowledge. We can teach it. We can talk about it all day long. And we come down and say, well, Lord, didn't we teach and we preach about it? He said, I didn't know you. Why? It's because it's the doing of the word, not the hearing of it. The doers are justified, not those who just think they know about it. All right. In John, the 10th chapter, and verse 10, <clears throat> these are verses that most of us know. This is leading up to going into warfare. I'm not into warfare yet. The thief comes only, he says, only to steal, kill, and destroy. Those are three distinct words, steal, kill, and destroy. Steal means I've come to rob you from the seed that God has given you. 2 Corinthians 9 says it, God gives seed to the sower. The seed is the word of God that we have to stand on to fight with. Every, every weapon is around connected to the word of God. So if you don't have seed, then you're disarmed. So the first thing the enemy wants to come is steal the seed from you by saying, hath God said, does it really mean this? And if he can steal your seed, then there's not going to produce anything for the next season. The next one is kill. Whatever you've produced from the seed you have planted, the enemy comes in to kill it so that it will not reproduce for the next generation. In other words, it wants to steal your testimony from your children and your grandchildren so that they look at you and say, what does that got to do? You're not living it. You're not walking it out. So to steal is to steal that testimony or that seed that has been sown. The interesting thing is that when you look at the life of Moses, that he got, came into Pharaoh that we're going to, I'm going to kill the firstborn of the, of the Hebrews. Any, we're going to kill any leader that's coming up that would lead them. And so his idea was to kill the firstborn throughout that. Interesting, God came and judged the firstborn of Pharaoh, all the, the Egyptians later on. For everything they did to the Hebrews or did to the people of God, then God judged them. Same way even today. Moses was spared and brought out of the water. That's where his name is, brought out of the water. You fast forward, Herod begins to hear that there's a king that's coming. And so Herod said, let's kill everyone of a certain age all the males, all the males. Why? Because they carry seed. All the males. Let's kill the seed so it, the next generation can't prosper. Let's kill the testimonies. Let's kill anyone from reproducing generationally what comes after that. And finally, the last part of the word is destroy, which means whatever legacy and whatever you've planted and whatever you've brought up in your family, that you pray that the enemy will not come and steal or destroy your legacy and wipe it out to where anything that you've done has, has no bearing on it. So when we say John 10, I mean, it's a pretty serious thing. I've, you've heard me talk a lot about my mother. She was way before her time before anybody talked about warfare. She talked about her children and her children's children. My, grand, my kids today, my, my kids, my, my mother laid hands on all of my children and blessed them and spoke over them. And they could tell you what she said. Because she, her generation, she knew what her generation was, but her generation was to protect the seed for the generations of following after that. So when you see your children, something going on with them, instead of telling them how bad they are and they're, they're a piece of you know what and all that kind of stuff and, and go after them and blah, 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 
instead of prophesying what the devil says, that's music to my ear, you come back in contrary with the Word of God and the Word says that my children are going to be taught of the Lord. And you declare over them what the Lord has meant because I'm not going to lose my legacy at one generation, but he's going to reproduce after the generation to come. One generation shall praise the next. And that's what we're looking for and seeing that. So how do we do that? We train our household how to do warfare and how to go into warfare and how to contend and hold on to what we have because the enemy would love to steal what you have to take you naked, blind, and all of the things that lay out of sin did. All right. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 10 is very, we know all of these verses. I'll quote them quickly. Our weapons of our warfare, the word warfare is the word stratia we get strategy from. I was in the military, my brother was, I looked up to him, I loved going to boot camp in Fort Sill when he graduated. He gave me some, some K rations and I thought, man, I've got it now. I, get, I got a gift from him and uh, it wasn't very good. I tried him. But he went through six weeks of basic training. So I went to see him graduate and all I saw him do was march. When are you going to fight, man? Let's see, I want to see some fighting. I said, man, all they did is taught you to how to make your bed, how to salute the right people, and yes, sir, no, sir. And you come down to the point is because I've taken you out of your home that had disrespect and dishonor and to teach you what it meant to be respectful. What difference, how does that got to do anything? So when you get into battle and you hear an order, you're going to say, ah, I don't know, I think I have to do that. If you treat it, if that's the way it was at home, you will learn before you ever graduate then that if they say go and go over that hill, you will go because you're trusting those in, in leadership. The marching was simply for discipline. It wasn't so much when they go out and battle, they didn't march in a straight line and bam, get picked off. It was to learn how to walk together in a unity and in sync with other people. So being able to operate in the household of faith, operate in your own home, in the unity of the Spirit, learning how to march in hand in hand so we're going to have the same enemy we're fighting and not friendly fire. You know, one of the reasons why a lot of people quit going to church is because they got friendly fire. They were wrongly judged, misunderstood, things said about them, they were hurtful, or they were so fearful that someone was going that they ran from that. It should be in the household of faith we're there not to shoot one another, but we know who the enemy is and don't let the enemy use us to hurt somebody else. Amen. Offenses will come, but woe to them that they come through. I mean, it's going to happen, but the person who brings those offenses, woe to them. Woe, woe. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious stuff. But he goes on to say that our weapons are not carnal. They're not of the mind, Laodicea and thinking, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word stronghold there tells us right where our biggest battle is, and it's the word noema, N-O-E-M-A, which simply means thoughts. The battle of the, is in the mind. If the, if the enemy can get us to think someone doesn't like us or someone's against us, it can torment us, it can take us down a trail where it'll keep us from being motivated towards the kingdom of God, and now we're motivated to run or do something else. I've had to battle that. I, I mean, I've had the enemy come to me like that. I've seen the enemy and I know what he looks like. Everything that God isn't, that's what he looks like. God is always about giving you a heart of faith, giving you love and peace and righteousness, peace and joy. And anything that doesn't look like that, it's a liar and of the father of lies and it's of, of the, the devil. And we have to contend for, for those things. All right. I want to move into um, discerning of spirits. It's one of the gifts that we need. Some discerning simply means being able to make the distinction, understanding of what it is. Sometimes we have to discern our own spirit. Sometimes I am my wor own worst enemy. I rethink, process it, Think it through, think about it. What about this? I wonder what they meant by that. What of that? And so I just implode on myself. So discerning of a spirit in someone, something is agitating anxiety to you. You have to look at it. Where did it source? Sometimes it may have come from me. Not to you. I'm talking about me to me. Me to me. 
I may be in conflict with my own mind. My soul may be in conflict with my spirit. The spirit knows the mind and the will of what God's saying, and our mind is feeling something else. And if we don't discern our own spirit, we blame the devil, we blame everybody else, and we never deal with ourselves. Bring ourselves into subjection to the will and purpose of God. Now, here's part of the preparation of getting ready to go to war. I practiced this last night, Diane and I did. I realized, and you'll see one of the things that are signs of go to warfare. I had a lot of financial losses recently. I parked in a parking lot, flew out to another city to minister, came back, you know, put your credit card in, they do it, put it by man, you're out and you're gone. The receipt flew out underneath the truck. It was kind of came out of this little thing. And I went, middle of the night, wasn't going to go get it. On my credit card bill, I get a bill for $483. The parking should have only been $48. So uh, somebody just put another, you know, decimal in there and just made a mistake. <clears throat> Call a credit card. I will take care of it, find that. Just re then they came back and said, we can't find any reason that the credit card wasn't correct. I was there three days. Man, I'd like to get that gig. You know, being able to have parking cars for $480. You know, that's over 100, 150 bucks a day. So I, I said, well, you know, can't fight City Hall. I just started saying that, you know. <clears throat> then I had a renter in my rent house went bad, cost me a lot of money. And so I was sitting there thinking, God. The thief came and stole. And he said, and yeah, and you've just been accepting it. It's just the way life is. Wow. You can accept the way life is, or what are you going to do about it? So I got up from my, I was in my office and got up and I told Diana, I said, we're going to war. And she loves that. <clears throat> That's like saying sick them, you know, and red flag to a bull. They're ready to go. What are we going to war over? I saw she mentioned that. I said, yeah. And it was on her credit card that I have. So she was even more so. <clears throat> so we began to pray. I felt the sense of the Lord saying, now you have aligned yourself with me. I can do something about it. Because before that time, I said, oh, God, just take care of this, Lord. Would you just, you know, look at this and, and make this go away? And, and I trusted in, in, in Citibank more than I trusted in going into the heavenlies with it. I'm telling all myself. And there's a few other things that, and the Lord's saying, I want you to be able to have discerning of spirits when something happens at that level, instead of feeling oppressed and depressed and angry and mad, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Look up instead of looking at. Don't be a layout of sin that says, I'm, I'm going after my own justice. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You know, if I could find a phone number, I might. But there's, <clears throat> how do you, it's all automated. And so I heard the Lord just saying that, I want you to recognize the times and seasons you're in. If you don't stop thievery going on, whether it's, maybe it's thievery in your health, maybe it's financially, whatever it would be, is it'll continue to encroach upon you till eventually you'll, you'll be so oppressed that you just say, well, that's the way it is. That's the way life is. God gives it, devil takes it away. Is that a verse? I don't think so. That's half of Job, not all that. <clears throat> and that wasn't what he meant by that. He was actually blessing the Lord. So when you recognize the enemy doing these things, then we begin to, to push back on it. Let me give you six things quickly. There's a bunch more, but I'm only giving you six, six of them. Uh, I just gave you one. When there's sudden losses, sudden losses that are unexplainable, just begin to look at it. Do it. Should I go to war? That could be a reason there. Number two, sudden illness that's not explainable. I'm not talking about allergies and you know, all that kind of thing. But there's a sudden illness that it just felt attacked. You kind of felt attacked by it. Just recognize that, this, that God doesn't put sickness on us, so where's it coming from? I need to be attentive to what's happening in the spirit realm. Not to the point of everything is bad. Not everything is that. I've got to discern what's going on. Here's a third one. Increased temptation for sin and anger. 
find sometimes when people are very angry, they're more tempted to sin. I'll just show you. I'll just show God. God, you haven't done a very good job. So I'm just going to do it. I'll repent later. I'll you know, probably, you know, jump in that. When you feel like it's temptation, knowing God doesn't tempt, according to James, he tests, but he doesn't tempt. Temptation is drawn away of our own carnality. Testing is wanting to see where, there, where our faith is, so if he's ready to build on a higher level with that. So if you see an increase of that, then you need to go to war. Go after that thing. Sense of tempta temptation to be on the internet and see things you shouldn't be, or a temptation to, to be angry for something or at something. You're, you're out of control. Proverbs says a person who's, whose temper is out of control is like a, a city with broken down walls. You, you're defenseless against the enemy with, with such kind of anger as that. All right. Here's the next one, number five. Losing motivation. Let me back up number four. Feel, feelings of anxiety and helplessness. What's the use? I've done everything I can. What's the use? I give up. That's a Laodicean thing gone the other way is I have nothing. I'm not worth anything. Go into that deep hole there. Barbara's book would be a great one for you to read of getting in and out of that, how she's got through that. Here's number five. Number six, rather. Number five, rather. Losing is in, let me do five because they're kind of connected. Losing motivation. I just don't motivate it to do anything. I understand that can be illness, that can be a number of things. When you just lose motivation for a long period of time, I don't even want to do it. I don't even care about it. I don't want to get up and do it again. It's because, especially when it comes to the spiritual things, if my motivation is everything I do is under the Lord, then I've lost, some, I've lost something. I've lost the direction. I've lost the leadership, what God called me to do. People didn't call me. God called me. And sometimes you can get your eyes on people and lose motivation. So if people are the motivation, then you're already messed up. Because you will lose somewhere in motivation. Unless the Lord builds the house or the city, those who labor, labor in vain. So God is building a house that he is, is the motivator inside of us and keeping us focused of intention upon what he wants us to have. Otherwise, well, people don't like this, they don't like that. Who cares? People can change their appetites and whatever. But God doesn't change. Stay motivated by the one who does not change. All right, here's the last one, six. Kind of goes with the low motivation too. Doubting God and his word. Maybe I'm not called. Maybe, maybe God didn't say. Maybe, maybe I've misunderstood. And so why keep trying hard? When you start feeling the doubt and unbelief, that is a demonic spirit. And that's not just a fact of... <clears throat> Things didn't work out. If things don't work out that you're praying for, then don't let that be the motivation that you serve and worship God over and over because that's happiness. Happiness is not the same thing as joy. Joy is an anointing and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's the joy of the Lord. Happiness is something that we feel that's based on happenings. Things cannot happen great, but you still have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is empowerment that keeps you moving forward to what God's called you to be and do. All right, let me give you, quickly run into preparing for warfare. We're not in warfare yet, prepping for warfare. Psalms 100, no, Psalms 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We normally just kind of look at these verses and just kind of, pass them off, but they really have strong significance. The word gates in Scripture many times refer to the gates of the city and the elders that was known to set in the gate, and they would judge civil matters between people disputes. So they would come to the gates, and they would have disputes or matters dealt with there, and that they didn't follow they needed to do. The next level is you go into his courts with praise. Thanksgiving is the word todah, which means to reflect on the, everything that's happened to me good in the past, remembering what God's done for me, remembering all the, the blessings and favor I have. That's ta-da. I'm reflecting on the past. Thanksgiving. That when you go into, and the courts, there's praise, the word changes to halal. Halal means to raise your hands and wave clamorously to make a sound that is very clear as a clear bell. 
So when you come into the courts of the Lord, it's different because the courts are right before you get into the king's house. Courts not meaning the courts of justice, but the courts, if you've ever you know, seen the, many of the uh, medieval times that you go through these gates, and then there's a courtyard there. And the courtyard, many times a king or a ruler or a prince would sit on a, a seat there and he would judge issues that were a higher level that of more than just disputes between two people. They were usually disputes that related to his kingdom that they were covenant or lawbreakers. It was a higher level. Notice the deeper you get into, the more help you need. It changes from, I'm thankful for what the Lord has done with me. I thank you God's done. Give me all these things. But when you come in and it changes, the halal means a demonstration or expression of affection that is focused upon the one you're coming before. Halal. So why do we lift hands? It's because we're not at the gates. We're in the courts. We're worshiping and honoring and blessing the Lord. We've got to train ourselves that when we come into church, we're not just coming in to see and be seen. We're coming into the courts of our God to express to him by praise unto the Lord. It lets the enemy know I'm alive and well and don't mess with me. I'm not just talking with some elders at the gate. I have now come before someone of higher authority. But what happens is we get disappointed and we come into the courts and say, hallelujah, praise God. Put on the karaoke thing. Let me see that again. And we have lost the attention of the one we're standing before. If we realize how real it is and heaven is real and we're real right now and as we stand before him, we would be doing something differently. <clears throat> The early church, when they met together, they didn't meet around a sermon or music. They met around the presence of God. Yes. You know whether you have a good service, not because you got out on time. Well, ever, no one ever accuses us of that. <laughs> Isn't that right, Pastor Jim? <laughs> he and I, we fight the clock all the time. I, I get it. I'd rather give more than, than you go away and say, man, I'm hungry. I didn't get fed there. When you come into the, the halal of the Lord, you clamorously raise and you make a show for him. When worship has become something that is done on these, these music instruments and you sit there and watch, how many of the time you've stopped, you stop singing and just listen to them? Then you're not worshiping. You can't borrow their worship and say, I've been in a worship service. No more than you sitting in a garage makes you a car. You'll figure that out in a minute. <clears throat> so it's us individually out of our innermost being flows, but we've so come used to that church has become an entertainment instead of I'm in the courts of the Lord God and, and before the one of the universe that can solve my problems. When you look at through Scripture, we'll get into it later on, <clears throat> not today, and you'll say, thankful God, thank you, God. <laughs> is that praise is one of the best expressions that deals with warfare. Second Chronicles, they sent the praisers out front. God took the battle. When we thank and praise and thank his name, he manifests himself. He, he's enthroned, and that word Psalms 22, enthroned, literally means to come to the place of justice and judge your enemies. He's enthroned on our praises, not our complaints. You want to confront and deal with the enemy? Then make your house a house of praise and not just listening to KVNE on the radio. If that's the best way you can do, then fine. Train your children, yourself, get together and have a song of praise in the middle before they go to bed or some point in time instead of saying, you know, you do this or that. Some of us are more judicious about their homework than their heavenly work. I'm not putting anything down. I'm just saying is, you, can't, you, you can do both, but just center the heart of the Lord. It settles the, the, your child's heart. It has given them a sense of peace, and you've trained them when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood. God rides on the flood like a flood. We push back by thanking and praising and worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> All right, here's the last part of this. 
You come through the gates, into courts. There are some times when you need more than gates and courts. You need the throne of God. You need the throne of God. Psalm 16, in his presence, that is the heavenly realm, the throne of God. Revelations 5 and verse 8 says it like this, that the 24 elders are there. This is a picture of what's going on in the throne room of God. If you could have this picture and you can enter into this place with him, and I can tell you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. And all of a sudden, all of your stuff is taken off because he said the 24 elders there and they have the golden bowls that are filled with the prayers of the saints. And they've got a harp. They're not harping on bad stuff. They're, they're singing. They're worshiping. 24 elders worshiping the Lord and has your prayers in the bowls and bring before the Father with the Son as the chief intercessor right there. You can find out in other places where there's lightnings and thunderings and, and, and sounds going on in, in the throne room of God. When you go in there with your stuff, I tell you all of a sudden, wow, the beauty of holiness takes over. I'm no longer upset because somebody overcharged me. Because he that makes the gold is there. The one who all honor and glory and praise is due there. The one who took the devil and kicked him out of heaven, he's there. He that sits in the heavens laughs, he's there. And he's imparting to us that environment of his presence there. Let me give you a quick illustration of that and I'm done. Esther. God raised her up to deliver the, the, the Jewish people. Haman, this guy who wanted to kill the Jews, you know the story. Mordecai was her uncle, came along and, and put her in, in a place to where she was, had all the beauty ointments and all the stuff. She was prepared. She's prepared for such a time as this. And finally she comes to this point that the old queen Vashti, which is a whole message of itself, refused to go into the king anymore. She, eh. Most of the time they would kill him. And he said, she will not come. He said, made a law, she will not come before me any longer. I see this as part of the apostate church. Amen. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I don't want to come in and worship the Lord God. I want to listen to a choir. I want to listen to somebody else do it. I want somebody else to worship for me. That's what we pay people for. Yeah. And he said, you'll no longer come in before me any longer. Esther's raised up. The king finds favor with her. Mordecai, a type of the Holy Spirit, comes to her. Says, here's the plot coming down. There's a big banquet being set in place. And he said, the plan is that Haman is going to hang all of the Jews upon the gallows. And he said, if you don't respond, then who knows whether your family or your, your, your father's house will be spared. And I say this, how do we know that any of us won't be affected what's happening in other places? Unless we make a move now. Unless we understand that we have that authority and power to deal with it now. She rehearses and tells him the law is that the queen cannot come before the king unless she's invited or she can be killed. She comes to the point and says, you, you, you fast and pray, I'll have my, my servants fast and pray. And she said, who knows whether I've come into the kingdom of God for such a time as this. Amen. Who knows if you, Trinity Fellowship Church, has come into the kingdom of God for a right time and place. We had a word, Diane and I had a word over this church a few years ago that, that this church would have a hand in the turnaround of this nation. Yes. It was such a big word. <clears throat> so instead of saying, well, that's just too big for us, she said, yes and amen. And so they went with it, the intercessors and the, and the people praying. So she, she said, if I perish, I perish. But I'm not going to hold a position and not step into the power and the authority of it. I'm not going to just have a head full of knowledge about the Word and not do something with it. I've got to walk it out and live it out. Otherwise, I'm the hypocrisy. Here it is, chapter 5. I'm done. 
Now it happened on the third day of Esther put on her royal robes. That's praise and worship. Amen. Garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. She mantled up. Before she went to war, she, she mantled up. Before you enter into a point of warfare, enter into a place of communion and fellowship with God before you take on the enemy. Happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court, one in the gates, one in the outer courts, stood in the inner courts of the king's palace. I love that. Across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne, the place of making judgments. At this point, he could say, you shouldn't be here, I'll kill you, get out of here. But she was in the place of being sent by the Holy One. She went and stood there in a royal robe. She was decked out. She was, had been in the place of presence of God, coming before the royal throne. So verse 2, And so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter, which is authority and acceptance. And listen to this. And then said, And Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Wow. When gates don't work and courts aren't enough and you're at this point, I have to meet with him. Yeah. Counseling is not helping me. I've got to go to the creator of the universe, the God of all gods, and the king of all kings and meet with him. I can tell you when you get, step into that throne room, you won't be saying anything. His presence would so be awesome and overwhelming. In fact, we find in the Old Testament where that, the, the glory of God would come into the temple when they were dedicating so strongly that the priests couldn't even stand, physically stand, even to do their ministry. Shoo, fell down before the presence of God. When you're in that level of presence of the throne room of God, heaviness departs, your concern departs, everything leaves you, who he is becomes so overwhelming and so wanting to wrap around you, you just want to want to go up there and just fall upon him and fall down before him. You don't say anything until he says to you, yes. what is it you want? Uh, let me remember, why am I here? <clears throat> and she begins to share the story and the very gallows that Haman had planned was the gallows that Haman died on. The plans of the enemy are turned against him when we come into the throne room of glory, the throne room of grace, and find help in time of need. Stand with me. I laid out some real simple things to make your house a house of prayer a house of praise, a house of his presence. Wouldn't it be great that your house would have such the peace of God that people would say, can I come over to your house and just stand in there because I feel peace there? Just gives me a respite from all my stuff that I'm dealing with. Is your house a house of peace or a house of chaos? Jesus said when he sent his disciples out and they went out by two, he said, you find a house that is worthy of his presence or worthy of him, let your peace come upon it. So that means that we can give peace or we can take peace. We can be peacemakers or peace takers. To be in the kingdom of God, he wants us to be one who suit up and show up and change the atmosphere with his presence. Whatever you're going through, if you need to go into warfare, then don't go to warfare until, go into war until you're right with him and right with him. Because we can learn a lot about warfare by going to conferences. You do this, this, and this, and you leave out one thing. Your armor's got holes in it because of he's the covering. Next week I'll take you and show you that originally before the word armor was used, it was the word Glory. Because the word glory stood for weightiness. And so when you would go to a blacksmith to make your armor, he would say, what glory or what weight do you want your armor? I want the, I want the heavy stuff. 
I want the stuff so thick and heavy that when they stick a sword in me, it just, it breaks their sword. I want to be covered so much with the glory and the peace and the presence of God, the devil can't get a word in edgewise. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. So, Father, I pray over every person in this audience today. As you're preparing us for the last days, that you've given us a rule book, you've given us a, an authority, you've given us in your scripture so we don't enter in ignorant of the devices of the enemy. But we're not looking at the enemy, we're looking at how glorious you are. And by standing in that place of your presence, it's amazing how the enemy has to fall before you because that's the testimony the testimony isn't how I fought. The testimony isn't what I did. Revelation says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of... Actually, it's our testifying of His testimony. What He's done. So I break every hold on any person right now that you feel like you're being overcome by any kind of demonic influence or attraction. If you've been attracted to sin or something going on there in the name of Jesus, I come by the love of God, the mercy of God, and cut that off and cut through that, that God loves you so much. He's not appointed you to wrath, but to obtain salvation. He's not, a, he's not appointed you to have to go through this, but he's appointed you to be a victor in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for your presence and your glory and the fresh anointing upon every person.